I'm, I'm so appreciative of the worship team and, and all that they put together. You know, a day like today, a couple extra songs, um, that's extra work and that's not easy. But, but what they know, I think what most of us in here know is, is our, our Lord is worthy to be praised. He's certainly worthy to be worshipped in that sort of way. And I, and I hope that's the attitude that you've come with today, to be able to worship Him uh, in spirit and in truth. And, uh, and I hope you're um, feeling that this morning. And, and, and thank you again for coming, as, as Craig said, especially for those of you that um, maybe are here for the first time. Appreciate you being with us today. Today is a day of celebration. Today is a, a day that we set aside this Easter Sunday, right, to set aside the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ for those of us who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ. And, and it, it, this is even a day, of course, as as Christians, it's, it, that's, that's something that we celebrate every day in one way or another, or at least something we should always be cogniz- cognizant of. But, but this is a day that, that even our worldly culture recognizes. Now, of course, they focus more on Easter bunnies and Easter eggs than Jesus in the resurrection. But hey, we'll take, we'll take what we can get. Now, around here, we, we happen to think that Jesus is more important than the Easter bunny. So that's where I want to focus your attention this morning, on someone, the Bible says, lived a life that we couldn't live in order to die a death that we couldn't die. Because Jesus' death, it paid the penalty of sin, and his resurrection proved that as he conquered the death and grave, and, and that's why we're gathered. So again, thank you for being a part of the service this morning. Um, I'm glad you're here, even if you're just here visiting with family and, and you know, won't normally be a part of our services, I'm, I'm glad you're here. And, and if you're new here and if you don't know me, my name is Troy Stogsdill. I have the privilege to, to pastor here and, and I'm up here preaching most Sundays. And, and the way we generally approach the preaching ministry of this church is, is just to systematically study the Bible one book at a time. So we pick a, pick a book and and we go through it verse by verse, giving you some history, and then and actually teaching doctrinally what that's saying, and then also how you can directly apply that to your life today. And we're currently studying the book of Acts, and, and that's where we're going to be this morning as we celebrate Easter and the resurrection of Christ. So if you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible with you, it's no problem. All the verses, everything will be on the screens behind me. You know, typically on a day like today, I might, you know, pick a, a passage outside of our normal study and our, our normal routine and, and that's somewhat focused on the specific occasion that we, that we would be in. But, but where we find ourselves in Acts chapter 3 seems fitting for the morning because there's a beautiful picture in our text today. You see, in the text, we're going to see the healing of a lame man. And through the power of Jesus, Peter and John tell him to rise up and walk, kind of like Jesus did that Sunday morning after his death. And so that's the title of our message this morning, Rise Up and Walk. And I picked that title because that's my desire for all of us in here this morning in a spiritual sense. And that is especially true if you do not know the Lord as your Savior. So before we leave here today and, and go spend time with friends and family and hunt for Easter eggs or scramble for them, whatever we're doing. I want to show you how you can rise up and walk. But before we get there, let me bring you up to speed on on where we're at in the book of Acts. In chapter 1, we saw the ascension of Jesus to heaven after he spent 40 days 
here on earth after his resurrection. He went to the cross. He died. Three days later, he rose again. He spends 40 days on the earth revealing himself to people. And, and, and then he, we see him in Acts chapter 1 ascend to heaven to sit with his father. But before he goes, he gives his apostles some marching orders. But he tells them that they must wait on the promise of the Holy Spirit before they march on. So what we see with his apostles and his followers is they go start praying. And in chapter 2, God sends the Holy Spirit and Peter preaches this powerful message condemning Israel for crucifying their Messiah. And through that sermon and, and what resulted from it, 3,000 people repent and are baptized according to Peter's direction. And they join the first church there in Jerusalem and they begin functioning like a church should. That's what we looked at last week at the end of chapter 2. And one of the important aspects of that church, and any church, is that God was working through it. And everybody noticed. We read in Acts 2.43, and fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And what we're going to study this morning at the beginning of chapter 3 is one of those many signs and wonders that the apostles performed through the power of the Holy Spirit. But listen... What we're going to look at today isn't just any sign or wonder. This is a very critical one that begins to pit the followers of Jesus against Israel's national leaders. And the event we're going to look at this morning ends Israel's ignorance of exactly what was going on and who Jesus really was. But we'll, we'll get to all that next week. What we're going to look at today is the miracle itself and all that it pictures for us today. So let's pick up the story in Acts chapter 3. We're going to read verses 1 through 11. So follow along with me if you will. Again, you can look at your Bible or you can look at the verses behind me. Acts chapter 3 verse 1. The Bible says, Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. And as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you. Again, for this day that we have set aside, Lord, to celebrate your resurrection. And, and we're certainly so thankful for that. For without that, Lord, we certainly don't have eternal life. And, and, and so thank you for, for dying on the cross for our sins. And, and, and thank you for conquering sin and death through your resurrection, Lord. I pray that everything we do today is, is a sweet savor to you. Lord, you're certainly worthy to be praised. And, and, and that is our heart's desire Lord, to praise you this morning. And so I pray that everything is said is true to your word. I, I pray that you're honored and glorified through it. Use it in our life as only you can. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we have a great story 
to analyze this morning, and it begins with Peter and John going up together to the temple. Now, we've talked in some detail about how this early church still had a, a Jewish focus, a kingdom focus, and, and how that's much different than, than the church, how the church functions today. And we see that in verse 1 of our text. They were the church, but they were going to the temple to pray. And I didn't even mention this last Sunday, but Acts 2.46 says, And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. And they continued daily with one accord in the temple. And I, we've already studied out that verse with one accord, and I show you how that have showed you how that relates to prayer. So Peter and John were doing just that. We see it Acts 2.46. We see it here, here in Acts 3.1. They're going to the temple to pray. So at this time in history, these guys were, were still going to the temple every day adhering to those Jewish times of prayer, 9 a.m., noon, and 3 p.m. We find that throughout the Old Testament. So, for example, in Psalm 55, verse 17, David said, Evening, morning, and at noon will I pray. And cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. Daniel kept that schedule even when he was captive and a prisoner in Babylon. And Daniel 6.10 says, Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house, and his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, and he did it four times. So these apostles were just doing what they knew to do. And in Acts 3, they were going to the temple for their evening prayer. They were going at the ninth hour, that is 3 p.m., because we know the Jewish calendar, the Jewish day, starts at 6 a.m. And that ninth hour, that 3 p.m. evening prayer time, is not coincidentally the same time that Jesus died, according to Matthew 27, verses 45 through 50. And Jesus' death was then obviously followed by his resurrection three days later. So let's see how all this is pictured in our text. And I want to start, this is our first point for study this morning, I want to start by looking at the poor man. And I call him poor because he was at the temple begging for money. He was unable to provide for himself. Look back at verses 2 and 3 again. And a certain lame man from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful to ask alms of them that entered into the temple, who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asking alms. Right, so he's laid at the temple. He can't walk. He's lame, and they bring him every day, and they lay him at the temple, and he's, he's begging if his people are entering. But the first thing I want you to notice about this man is, is the Bible says this was a certain man. The Bible uses the word certain. So not just a man, not just any man, but a certain man. And certain in this context means specific, but not explicitly named or stated. And there are some doctrinal implications to that phrase that, that maybe we'll come back to next week. But this was a specific man that God wanted to heal. And this was a certain man, a specific man, but yet he goes unnamed. We don't know his name. And I believe that's because God wants us to be able to put ourselves into this story. You see, the truth is, there was a time where I was a lame man, spiritually speaking. I was that certain man. 
But there was a day that God healed me. Maybe you have that same story. And when I think of that, my mind is flooded with the realization of the extent of the love of God for man and the individuality of it. I bet you there was a lot going on in the world that day. But God was still interested in this certain man. I'm sure there were many things that could have captured God's attention at that moment. But he was interested in him. And can I tell you that that God is interested in you right now? Even with all the craziness going on in the world and, and, and the wars and everything that's happening that, you know, God is, is dealing with, so to speak. In spite of that, God's interested in you right now. God's not too busy for you to come to him. God is not too consumed. He still wants to heal you today. And if you don't know how to walk, if you can't get yourself up, God is willing and able if you only desire it. You see, this was a certain man. But not only that, this certain man had been lame from his mother's womb. And, and God points that out because he wants us to know that this man had always been that way. He didn't have an accident at some point in his life and, and became paralyzed. He didn't contract some disease later in life that removed his ability to walk. No, this was a problem that he was born with. And spiritually speaking, we all have a problem that we are born with as well. There is something wrong with our physical birth. Job 25.4 says, How then can man be justified with God, or how can he be clean that is born of a woman? And you see, despite what culture may be trying to tell us, every single person born into this world is born of a woman. And according to the verse we just read, anyone born of a woman has a problem being clean or justified before God. And we're going to come back to that before we end this morning. So this was a certain man. This was a lame man who had been lame his entire life. And he had to be carried to the temple. He had no strength in his feet and ankles. He couldn't walk. And since he couldn't walk, he couldn't provide for himself. There was nothing he could do to earn a living. So he had to beg. The Bible says he sat at the gate and asked alms of them that entered into the temple. And that just means, as I've already stated, he begged for a handout. He was asking for money or goods. And that was not uncommon in their day, just as it's not uncommon in our day. But even though this certain man was begging for money or food, that, that wasn't really his primary need, was it? And even though he didn't know that, God did. And listen... God always does. God always knows exactly what we need before we even need it. Matthew 6, 8 says, Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. God knows everything. We just think we do. We think we know what we need and when we need it and how we need it to play out. And because we think that and because of these expectations we set in our mind, when our life does not go the way we expect or the way we set out for it to go, somehow we think God doesn't care or that God is absent 
And that couldn't be further from the truth. God knows exactly what is going on in our life all of the time. Every single moment. And he knows all that we need before we even know. He's just waiting for us to come around to his leading. To what he wants to do and how he wants to do it. He's just waiting for us to remove ourselves from the throne of our life so that he can sit there. And this certain lame man is about to learn that lesson because he received something from Peter and John, but he didn't receive what he was asking for. He received something much, much better. And that brings us to our second point, the second item we need to look at, and, and that is the powerful miracle. The powerful miracle that is performed, that occurs right out there in, in front of everybody at the beautiful gate at the temple. It was active, an active place. Look back at verse 4. So this guy is sitting down. He sees Peter and John coming up, and he's asking alms. He's begging for money. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. And then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, and walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. And as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. I mean, what an amazing, powerful miracle this was that we get to read about in Scripture. This man is asking for money, he's asking for some food, and he gets so much more. And it's so interesting to me that there, there's so many interesting things in, in, throughout God's Word and in, in all of these you know, true stories that we read. But one of the things that's interesting to me here is just the confidence in Peter. Right? He and John, it says, fastened their eyes upon the man or fixed. They sat to look at him eye to eye, direct eye contact. And listen, that's rule number one if you want to avoid someone begging on the street, isn't it? Don't make eye contact. <laughs> Once you've made eye contact, you're on the hook for something. But they didn't avoid it. In fact, they sought it out, and, and this is a very important point that, that we'll even get to later. But it was very important for him, for this man, to look upon them. Peter gave the, him that distinct instruction. He said, look on us. And he wanted to look the man eye to eye. And in the use of the word us here in that sentence, you see the, the fellowship and the partnership in ministry with Peter and John. And, and this is very interesting. This is a sort of an interesting note here because in some ways, not in all ways, but in some ways, John and, and Peter have kind of flipped roles, right? Because if, as you read the Gospels, Peter's always the one just making a mess of himself. I, I always say when, when Peter didn't know what to say, he said something, 
And, you know, like, I, I love him, you know, because it makes me feel better about myself or something. But, you know, Peter was always putting his foot in, the, in his mouth, doing the wrong thing. And John's the steady one, man. John is the, John is the beloved one, the, 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 the disciple whom Jesus loved. Not that he didn't love the others. Of course he did. But, but John had a special relationship with Jesus. That's throughout the Gospels. And, and now when we get to the book of Acts... It seems like Peter is taking the lead, right? Peter is the apostle to the Jews, and he's the one doing nearly all the speaking here at the beginning of this book. And, and listen, that is just a great picture for us as believers and, and the work of the church because no one is greater than the other. They're just different roles, and sometimes those different roles are at different times. You see, John was no less than Peter. You know, I think as we would define it, as we would look at the Scriptures and the way by our human brain and the way we, you know, define things in our term, we would probably say that, that John was certainly the more spiritual one of the two. And listen, I know for a fact that there are more spiritual people in this congregation than me. And, I, and that's just the truth. I, I, I don't even say that with false humility. That's just the truth. And certainly none of you are lesser than me. And just because I'm the pastor or any of our pastors, we're not better than anyone. We all just have a role. And when we're all serving in our roles, the sum becomes greater than the parts. Or as Paul puts it in Ephesians 4.16, for whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part maketh increase of the body under the edifying itself in love. You see, the sum is greater than the parts when we all work together the way that God designed it. So we see that here in this text, and Peter tells the lame man, he didn't say, look on me, he says, look on us. And when he says that, the guy gets excited. The Bible says he sure did look on him, expecting to receive something of them. But Peter burst his bubble right away by saying, silver and gold have I none, right? He just comes right out with it. He doesn't, there's no bait and switch. There's nothing. He just says, listen, I, what you're looking for, I don't have. Silver and gold have, ha, have I none because their money was all shared. Remember in chapter 2, it said they had all things common, including their possessions, and apparently Peter wasn't the treasurer. So he didn't have silver and gold to share, but he did want to give this man something because he says, such as I have, Give I thee. And so I think that begs the question, well, what was it that Peter had? What did Peter have? Well, first of all, we know that Peter had power. Remember the promise from Jesus back in chapter 1, in verse 8? He says, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and under the uttermost part of the earth. Right? And the Holy Ghost then came in chapter 2 and brought that power. And so now those apostles have the power of the Holy Ghost, specifically to perform signs and wonders like what is described in our story. But you know what else Peter had? Peter had faith. Peter had power and faith. He trusted the Lord and he trusted his word. He trusted his word that he said in Acts 1.8 says that when the Holy Ghost comes, you're going to have power. He's already seen it displayed. So he trusted what God said. Because look at the dramatic scene that ensued. At the end of verse 6, 
Peter said here, okay, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So Peter knew the power of the Holy Ghost resides in the name of Jesus, a, a risen Savior. That's where the power comes from, of the resurrection. And that also contains the power for salvation. Speaking of the name of Jesus in the next chapter, Peter said in Acts 4.12, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. The only name is the name of Jesus Christ. And because of Peter's faith in the name of Jesus, he took this certain man by the hand and lifted him up. And just think about that for a second. And think about the faith involved. There's a lot of people around. What if God would have decided not to heal that man? What if Peter would have lifted him up and he would have just fallen right back down? I mean, that would have been a little bit embarrassing. I'm not even sure where you go from there. I don't, like, how do you recover? That's a tough place to recover from. I think you just go find the man some silver and gold at that point. I don't, <laughs> I don't know what you do. But of course that didn't happen. And Peter knew it wouldn't happen. I just wonder how many of us in here avoid ministry, avoid discipleship and avoid discipling someone else, avoid investing our lives in someone else, avoid getting involved, because we don't have the faith that God will work through us. We just don't believe it. Even though you have the same power in you that was in Peter. Now, God works very differently today, works very differently through the church today than he did through the apostles back then. So, for example, I believe that God still heals, but the gift of healing in believers through man, that has ceased and is no longer active. We, we've talked all about that, and, and this morning is not the time. I don't have the time to go through all of that, but God has changed the way he's working in this dispensation. So don't go doing exactly what Peter did. That, that would be a mistake. But God absolutely still works. And there's still power from the Holy Spirit. And he wants to work through each and every one of us to change someone's life. It's just that God works in a spiritual environment today more than a physical environment. But in Peter's day, God was still using his men to perform this type of powerful miracle. And just look at the completeness of the miracle. Verse 7 says, He immediately received strength in his feet and ankles. And he stood up and began leaping and walking and praising God. And I just love the specificity of that verse. He received strength in his feet and ankle bones. This is the only time the word ankle is ever mentioned in the Bible. Just one time, right here. And, and I don't think it's any coincidence that Luke, the author of the book of Acts, was a doctor. And it's like the doctor, Luke, was examining this man for himself to see exactly where the healing occurred. And listen, this man had been lame from his birth. So he had no sense of what it felt like to stand or walk or leap. And yet he's doing it all immediately. There is complete 
an instantaneous healing. And everyone who saw it, they were amazed. They knew who this guy was. That's what it says there in verse 9 or 10. They knew that they sat him at the gate, the, the, the gate every day. Right? According to Acts 4.22, the man was above 40 years old. This wasn't his first day at the temple. He was known by everyone, I'm sure even Peter and John. But on this day, this day he was healed. And wonder and amazement ensued. And that should always be the response to the hand of God at work. Amazement and wonder and awe. The question is just, what are you going to do? with that awe, with that wonder, with that amazement? Are you going to seek out God to learn more, or are you just going to let it pass, it, pass by you and move on to something else that, 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 that this world is, is trying to distract you with? Are you going to take the time to analyze the evidence, or are you just going to not think about it and just push it behind you and forget about it and keep moving? And listen, that right there is really the main question on the table today. Because in this story, I want you to see the potential for God's hand to work in your life. But you must be willing. You must allow him to work. And that brings us to our last point, because this is a very cool story of a miraculous healing of a lame man. But it could be so much more than that if you're just able to understand the pictured message. Right? There's a beautiful picture in all of this. The story is a beautiful picture of a healed man, not only physically, but spiritually. So let me show you. You know, as we talked about earlier, this man was lame from his birth, right? He had a problem that he was born with that he couldn't solve on his own. And we looked at Job 25.4. We talked about that a little bit. But listen. Spiritually, that is true of every person born into this world, including you and me. Psalm 51.5 says, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. You see, that's the problem we have right there. The problem is that we're all born, the, the problem that we're all born with is sin. And we're all born with a sin nature. And that sin nature separates us from God. Romans 5.12 says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And that one man was Adam, and according to Genesis 5.3, we're all born in Adam's image, that of a fallen sinner. And I, I think this is an area that we can all, you know, we can pretty much get some universal agreement on. There are many things that, that do not come naturally to us. But unfortunately, sin doesn't fall in that category. I mean, maybe it's just me, or, or at least just me and Paul, because Paul said in Romans 7, verses 18 through 20, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For the will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. You know, the stuff that I want to do, I can't do. And the stuff that I don't want to do, that's what I end up doing. Now, if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. And I think the truth is we all can feel those verses. We understand those verses. Because we all have a sin nature. And as I've already said, that sin separates us from God. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. 
And just like that lame man couldn't heal himself, we can't save ourselves either. There's nothing we can do to earn our salvation, right? He couldn't earn a living because he couldn't walk. And we can't earn our salvation. You can't be good enough. There's, there's not the proverbial scales. It's not what the Bible teaches. And if you do more good works in your life than bad works, okay, well, then, then I make it. I get in. That's, that's not what the Bible teaches. And even if it were, the, the problem with that is that the standard is Jesus. And he's perfect. He never sinned. None of us. None of us can meet that qualification. There's nothing we can do to bridge that gap that we have with God because of our sin. And that gap is eternal death or separation in hell. You see, we are on the outside looking in. We're on the outside looking in, just like the lame man in our story. Because where was he sitting? He was sitting at the gate outside the temple. Begging from those who were entering. He was on the outside looking in. And Paul described this condition of those without Christ in Ephesians 2.12. This says that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world, on the outside looking in. And just like that lame man, we're just looking for hope. Looking for help. But many don't even know what their real need is. You see, whatever you think you need today, the real answer is Jesus. And when it comes to sin, Jesus answered that sin problem by being the only acceptable and sufficient sacrifice for our sins through his death. And we know that it was a sufficient sacrifice because of today. Because of what we celebrate today, and that's his resurrection. God raised his son from the dead. Hebrews 10, 12, speaking of Jesus, says, But this man, after that he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. And he couldn't sit down on the right hand of God if he was still dead, if he was still on the ground. But he's not. He's alive. And because he's alive, you and I can be too. We can rise up and walk just like the lame man. Romans 5.8 says, But he commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Praise the Lord. There is a Savior. There is a solution to our sin problem. For the wages of sin, Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that is worth celebrating. Jesus came and lived a perfect life and then died as a perfect sacrifice for you and me. It's what the Bible calls the gospel, which just means good news. And listen, there's no better news than that. And all you have to do is to accept it, to accept that offer, that gift, is first look upon him. Peter told the lame man to look on us. And Isaiah 45.22 says, Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. And we don't have time to lay all this out, but this points to a story in Numbers 21 where the nation of Israel had to look at a serpent on a pole to be, to be saved from a plague of snakes that the Lord had sent for their disobedience. 
If you've never heard the story, I know it sounds crazy. But there's, the Lord sends snakes for their disobedience, and, and Moses goes to him and said, we're all dying. All the people are dying. He said, okay, make a pole with a serpent on it. And if anybody gets bit, have them look at that serpent on the pole. And they'll be saved. And then Jesus was compared to that serpent on a pole in John 3 when he became sin for us on the cross. And the answer is to look upon it. Have you looked at the cross? Have you looked at Jesus on the cross for you? Because here's the problem for most people. They know that and they know the story, but they've never made it personal. You see, you have to believe that he died for you. It's not enough to believe and understand that he died for the sins of the world. You have to believe that he died for you. And you have to place your faith in his sacrifice. And that's what the, the lame man did when he grabbed a hold of Peter and John. They grabbed a hold of him. He grabbed back. And look at what Romans 10, 9 and 10 says. That if thou, that's singular, if thou, if you, shall confess with thy mouth, that's singular, if you confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart, that's singular, that God hath raised him from the dead. Thou, that's singular, shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You see, you have to make it personal. But when you do, just like that lame man, salvation is instantaneous and complete. A life that you never knew that was maybe completely foreign to you, is now yours. And now you have the strength to glorify God. Acts 3, 7 says the lame man's feet and ankle bones receive strength supernaturally. So before his healing, he had no strength. And then Jesus came to the rescue. And listen, spiritually speaking, the same is true of us. Romans 5, 6 says, for when we were yet without what? Strength. In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Praise the Lord that he did that. And because he did that, and because he rose from the grave on that third day, we can have eternal life in Jesus Christ. But you can't do it yourself. You can't earn it. Just like this lame man, you've got to give your life to him. It's Christ for the criminal. And you and I, we were the criminal. He was innocent. But he's willing to take your place. He was willing to take my place. And when you accept that offer, then you are brought into peace with God. Your sins are removed. According to Psalm 103, verse 12, they are as far as the east is from the west. So far hath he removed our transgressions from us. And you're reconciled to God. What a beautiful, beautiful thing that is. So there's no better news than that. That is good news. So let me ask you, do you have it? Do you know that peace? Or is your life a mess today? Do you feel like that lame man? And life is just hitting you every which way. And it's like you can't even get up. You don't even have the strength 
to keep walking. You don't even know how. Listen, there's a verse in the book of Isaiah. It was actually one of the songs we sang this morning, referenced it. It says, God gives beauty for ashes. It's Isaiah 61.3. And, and listen to these words. To appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. And they might be called trees of righteousness and the planting of the Lord that he might be glorified. And, and that's a prophetic verse actually pointing to the second coming of Christ the end of the tribulation period, and at that second coming, he's, he's going to do just that. He's going to give beauty for ashes. He's going to give joy for mourning, praise for heaviness. But listen, while that verse doctrinally applies to the nation of Israel at a specific time in history, I want you to know that spiritually he can absolutely do the same thing for you in your life today. He's still willing to trade beauty for ashes. And let me tell you, that, that's a good trade. He also trades heaven for hell. That, that's a good trade. Now, he won't force you to come to him today, but this I know, he wants you to. He wants you to rise up and walk. That's his desire this morning for each and every person in this room. So will you come to Jesus this morning? Will you be like that lame man and look unto him today and quit trying to do things yourself. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. And when no one looking around, there's, there's people moving, our ushers are getting in place and the praise team's coming up and all that, but when no one looking around, I, I just want to ask you a question. So hearing what you've heard this morning, I just want to ask you, do you remember and know of a time in your life where you were saved, that you accepted Christ's sacrifice for your sins as your own, where you made that personal and placed your faith in him. Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're saved? If you were to die today, do you know that you'd spend eternity in heaven with Jesus? And if the answer to any of those questions is no, I just want to pray for you. So if there's anyone in here this morning who's not sure, if you're just not sure if you're saved, I'd just like you to raise your hand. That's all I want to do. If there's anyone in here who doesn't know if they're saved this morning, would you just raise your hand? I just want to pray for you. I see you up in the balcony. Praise the Lord. Do we have anyone else? If you were to die today, you're going to go somewhere. Don't let today pass without being sure of where that is. Do we have anyone else that would say, you know what, Troy, I'm not sure. I just want to pray for you. And, and now I want to be clear for anyone that raised their hand or didn't even raise their hand but are still thinking it. My, my prayer won't save you. Only your prayer, only placing your faith in Jesus will save you. But here's the thing. You can do that this morning. After I pray, we're going to sing a song to close out our worship service and and if you want to talk to someone about how to be saved, just come forward during that song. You can come down any of the aisles. And if, and if you walk down the aisle, someone will meet you. I promise you. Now, I know that can be intimidating. I know that can be a little scary. But don't let that fear keep you from being saved today. And we'll be taking up our offering during this last song. Don't let that distract you. If you need to do business with the Lord and, and you don't know how to do it on your own, 
we'd love to show you. We'd love to take the Bible and show you what it means to become a Christian today. And if, again, if anyone does that, just come forward. We'll meet you. We'll meet you there. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the picture of this lame man and, and what it pictures for us today. And, and Lord, to our ability, because of your resurrection and because of the power in it, Lord, now we can have eternal life with you. And we're so thankful for that. We too can rise up and walk. And we can walk with you and we can give our life to you. And, and Lord, you can change us forever and change our eternal destiny. Lord, thank you again. Lord, I pray for those that, that raised their hand and, and, and maybe even those that didn't, but, but yet, Lord, are struggling. Lord, I pray that, that you give them the courage to do what they need to do now. And if that's come forward for us or if it's talked to whoever brought them, whatever it might be, Lord, that you would have them do that so they can get settled their eternal destiny today. So I just I pray for them. I'm thankful for everybody that came today. And, and Lord, I pray that you just use this in all of our lives and continue to work in our hearts and, and in our minds for your glory. Lord, we love you. We're so thankful that you rose again. Thank you. We ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.